not uh, introduce myself or met you this morning. My name's Rick, and I'm the campus pastor here, and thank you for joining us. I actually do want to say thank you to a couple of people here. Do you, li- do you like the screen and the, and, the, and the image we've got behind us going on now? Can we, can we say thanks to our tech team and our guys? They, they were here. I was, I was with them, but I was more emotional support. Uh, late, late, on, late on Wednesday night and then early again this morning getting that all set up. And there are tons of volunteer hours that go on around this place and in the community all week long, and uh, we just like to honor people at different times. But Damien and Evan and everyone else who is helping, thank you so much for that. Yeah, we can thank him again. Thank you, guys. Well, we are continuing on in our series, The Journey. How many people in the room are eldest children? You're the oldest. You're the oldest in the family. You were like gold to your parents, right? In the family, we know that the firstborn, because before you, it was just your parents. And anybody who's married know if married people spend too much time together, that's the last thing we need. We need, some, we need like a buffer every once in a while. So we, we, have this, we have this child, and we have this firstborn child who is just the prize of, of, the, of the parents and, and the apple of their eye, and all their hopes and dreams are invested in all those people that just raised their hand a moment ago. And there are pictures of your first everything, aren't there? First day of school, first day of nursery school, first steps. The first time you peed, they photographed that. And they, they love that. They go, oh my goodness, isn't he so cute? It's adorable. And they put you in every camp imaginable. You went to dance camp, you went to band camp, you went to soccer camp. You went to see the Easter Bunny, you went to see Santa Claus. They took you to the pumpkin patch. You met the pilot on the airplane. You met the driver when you got onto the bus. And you got it all because you're just gold to your parents. And then we have the babies of the family. Who is the baby of the, the last born? The baby, the spoiled, no, just got <laughs> The babies of the family, you also have a special place in your parents' heart. You're, you're the last of their lineage. The end of fertility is what you represent to them. It's like their last chance to do well. They look at you and they think, these other ones I'm not so sure about, but you, I've got, I've got hope for you. And you didn't necessarily go to camp all the time because mom wanted to hold on to you. You were a special little princess or the special little guy. And everyone thinks you're the cutest one because you're the last one that ages. And we all know kids get just more annoying as they get older. So that, that last one there, you're like, oh, they're so cute. And all the older siblings held on to you. And heaven forbid if anyone touched mom's little baby. Now, who does that leave in the room? You're not first or you're not last. Who does that leave? Joe and Kathy and I were talking about this on... on um, on uh, Friday night. We are the middle. We are the leftovers. (laughs) We are not the main course that comes first. We are not the special dessert that comes last. We are the leftovers, the filler. We're like the intermission in between the acts. We strive so hard to get noticed and get loved. And it's not that our parents didn't love us. It's just that sometimes they didn't remember us. Literally, there were days my parents would tell me that the phone would ring and the person would ask, is Rick there? And they would go, just a minute. And they'd go, Rick? (laughs) No, he's not there. But do you want to talk to his older brother, Dave? He's a great guy. I'll show you pictures of him. I would would be out all, 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 all over the park, over the neighborhood. My parents loved me, but they were just happy if I made it back safely at night. They didn't know what was going on. You know, sibling rivalry is fun, isn't it? We like to joke about it. 
But we're going to look at Moses, and he dealt with sibling rivalry. rivalry. And as we continue in our series, The Journey, we're people who are on a quest of faith, journeying towards the story of Christ as we get to Christmas. If you need a Bible this morning, just ask you to slip up your hand, and you can read along with us. Um, You can share a copy of the Bible. You can borrow that copy this morning. An usher will make sure they get you a copy. Just slip your hand up, and Art will make sure you get one of those. Or you can can follow along in your version on your tablet or on your smartphone. Just look for Portico or Milton, and uh, all the verses will come up there. We're going to look at the story of Moses. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Moses had an older brother, and his older brother was named Aaron. And do you know what the name Aaron means? Anybody know? I bet you guys know what the name Aaron means. (laughs) Enlightened. Enlightened. It means rich. It's this beautiful name that the parents give Aaron. And then you know what the name Moses means, the second born in this family? Something they pulled out of the weeds. That's literally what the name Moses means. So we've got Aaron, enlightened and rich, and then we've got Moses, something I took out of the weeds. This is, this is the family. It's a little less elegant than enlightened and rich, isn't it? But, so Aaron lives his life in Egypt as a slave, but he lived in his family, and he would have become the head of his siblings. He would have been the one that the parents dreamed about. He would have been the one that the others looked for to leadership. Moses, on the other hand, he never even lived in his family's house. He went and he, he, he was raised, in, uh, he was raised uh, in, in, in Pharaoh's house. And he was a murderer who was chased out of the country. He was a half-breed Egyptian Jew. And God appears to him in the wilderness, and he calls him to become the national leader for Israel. Now, when God appears to Moses, even Moses questions if God's got this right, he says, are you sure it's me you want? I'm the one that got taken out of the weeds. I'm the second boy. I'm not really the one that you want. And we're going to go to Exodus 4, verses 13 through 16. And this is our key passage this morning. And it says, but Moses said to God, here's what he goes, pardon your servant, Lord, but please send somebody else. The Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. So God sends Aaron, the older brother, to partner with Moses. And I don't know if you caught this last line, but God said, it will be like you were God to him. Now, if you're Aaron... You just got to start thinking, well, thanks, Lord. <laughs> that's, that's just what my little brother needs. You just told him that he can be God to me. And God said, that's not really what, it doesn't matter what you said. Think about what he heard. <laughs> he heard, I get to be God to my older brother or like God. And for the rest of his life, Aaron lived in the shadow of his younger brother, Moses. Who led the people through the desert, the wilderness? Moses, right? It was Moses and Aaron. Moses say it's Moses who spoke to Pharaoh and let my people go who spoke Aaron we say Moses <laughs> but Moses but Aaron was he said God said I'm going to give you the words and you're going to tell Aaron to speak them for you but the, all history looks back and says Moses 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 and really each one of us has moments in our lives when we feel like there's a shadow of somebody else pushing us out of the way overtaking us it could be in our families where we feel that we're overlooked and 
were less important. For some of us, it comes at work, doesn't it? Where our title, our title may even tell us we're less important. We see a senior VP of something. That sounds a little more official than our title, assistant coordinator of such and such. And we go to work every day and there's a nameplate on our desk and on our door that tells us you're living in the shadow of somebody else. And it's extremely difficult for, for us because a lot of us, our identity is tied to these titles. Who we're the leader, if we're the boss of somebody, if we're a leader of somebody. Think about it. When we have conversations with people, how do we introduce ourselves? We'll say, um, some people use it in their actual title. I'm Dr. This. I'm Captain This. I'm Reverend This. I'm the principal. I'm the vice president. I'm mom. I'm dad. The people that we have authority over often often play into who we are as people, how we identify ourselves. And so our self-worth gets linked into those that we lead. Now, we do know this. God has designed each person to lead. No matter age, no matter ability, no matter stance in life, he has called each of us to lead. And we know as through leadership studies that leadership is influence. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. It's not given positions. It's not titles. It's our ability to influence those around us. So regardless if it's at home, whether it's socially, whether it's in business, we all lead people at some level. And when somebody else starts to move into our arena of leadership, we get nervous. When we get in that shadow and we lose part of our leadership, you know what happens is we actually lose part of how we identify ourselves. I talk with talented young professionals all the time. They feel undervalued at work because they get overlooked with existing leaders, people that are already there and their skills aren't able to shine because they're living in the shadow. And as we look at Aaron's life, we're going to find some leadership principles and some principles of influence that may help us on our journey and on our quest to lead like God would. So here's the first thing. Aaron's life teaches us that leadership is not defined by position. Influencing people isn't restricted to a title that says, okay, everybody look and be influenced by that guy or that girl. Aaron was the eldest, which gave him leadership for a time over his siblings. And then he moves to the support role where God raises Moses up. And leadership, we see, is a fluid thing. There will be times in our lives when we'll be number one. And then there are times when we have to step aside and we're going to be number two or number three or maybe even number four. And when we used to have this area where we were looked to as a leader, we've now become a support person. In fact, some of the greatest leaders in all areas of the world, their best moments are when they step aside and they know how to support. If you're a football fan, you might know this. Who is typically the holder of the football on a kicking team? Do you know who's the holder of the football? The quarterback. The one that gets into the huddle and calls the play and has the ball and does a, the one that everybody looks to and says, you're the great leader. When it comes time to kick the ball, the one that gets down on his knee and has to catch it and then put his hand out there and while another man runs about to hoof the ball inches from his finger, he's the quarterback. It's a great model of leadership where it goes, yeah, on the first three downs, I'm the one that throws the ball, but on the fourth down when it comes time to kick, I'm the guy that gets down on my knees and starts to serve. And even though Aaron begins in his, his life in leadership, God's calling eventually was for him to support his brother. And we need to know God's going to move us in and out of leadership situations all over the course of our lives. And it's not always the one we think 
would be the leader that God uses as, as the overall leader, right? We know this. In your CLGs this week and at the CLG experience here on Wednesday night and in your homes, we're going to look at the story of David and how God called him to lead and the, and the, the circumstances around which God called him to lead. The Lord reminded Samuel of this when Samuel was anointing David. It's in 1 Samuel sixteen seven. The Lord said to Moses, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. That's talking about the older one. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And when we're caught up in the shadow of somebody else, we can be assured that God sees something else in us than just what other people see. The first, the biggest, the most established are not typically the heroes that God calls to lead. 1 Corinthians verse 21 reassures us of this. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Paul told Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. We have high school students in the room with us this morning. God's called you to lead. God's called you to step up. God's called you to influence us as a church. God's called you to influence your world around you. It doesn't matter what other people see, what other people say. God says, don't let anybody look down, but be an example. Have influence. Have leadership in terms of your love, your life, your faith, your purity. None of that, nothing restricts our ability to lead. And when Aaron gets a hold of this concept, listen, he has one of his most shining moments that we see recorded in all of his history. In, in, in all of his history recorded in the Bible, what we know, Aaron's greatest moment was when he realized, I'm not number one, but I'm still going to lead. And it goes in the story, it's in, it's in um, Exodus chapter 32, but there's a battle that the Israelites are having with, with Amalek, and God says to Moses, you need to raise your hands up like this. And Moses, when people see you with your hands up, your country, your army, you're going to win. And when, they dro- when you drop your arms, they're going to start to lose. And so Moses puts his hands up and he sees the battle going his way and he sees the army having victory. But you do this very long, what happens? Yeah. <laughs> You get, your, you get that lactic acid. Anybody do puppets when they were kids? You, you did puppets? Like, like, how long can you keep your arms going like this for? What, like three minutes? And if you do that for three minutes, you're like a he-man. Like, you've got, you've got all this going. And so all of a sudden, Moses' arms stop, start to drop, right? Now, Aaron has a choice. Aaron is called to be the support. But Aaron also knew, I used to be number one. What am I going to do? Do I want to have influence in my country? Or do I want to be ranked as number one? He says, he makes the choice. I want to have influence. So he goes alongside Moses and he puts his arm underneath Moses' arm and just says, Moses, I'm going to make sure that your arm stays high and I'm going to come underneath and just hold it there. And his greatest moment of influence wasn't even when he was number one. wasn't even when he was acting as the older brother. It was when he decided he was going to support. And Aaron's life reminds us that even when we're in the shadow of, of somebody that we feel is so much bigger and so much more influential, we can still mean life or death to those around us. I want you to think about this. In a battle, what does losing mean? <laughs> when you're battling with swords and arrows, death, <laughs> right? <laughs> if, if Aaron doesn't come alongside and put his arm against Moses' arm, it's death to people around him. But he says, it's not about me being number one. It's about me having influence. And sometimes the greatest moment of leadership and influence we can have is when we support another leader and let that leader win. 
because leadership isn't defined by a position. Second thing that we're going to look at this morning in Aaron's life is that leadership is also susceptible to disloyalty. Worldly principles will tell you this, that there are key times. We, we know this in our lives. There are key times when there's an opportunity that's presented to you and you have to jump on that. Because if you don't make your move, if you don't step up and show yourself valuable and able to lead in that time, that opportunity may never naturally present itself again. You just got to step into the limelight when the door is open. If you don't act, you miss it forever. It's hard for us as people, let's just be honest, it's hard for us to separate God's principles from principles we've learned from the world sometimes, isn't it? Because this could be very true. There could be, there could be a moment at work when you could show yourself more smart than your boss, more intelligent, more savvy. And if you don't step up then, you may miss that opportunity. But you know what God's principles say? God's principles say, no, don't put yourself there. We're going we're gonna to look at that. If God's called you... A, to a support role, our job is not to find the chance to step in front and step into the limelight. See, Aaron had one of these moments when Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. Moses had been gone up on this mountain more than a month, and the people started to question, is Moses ever coming back? He was our leader. He led us out of Egypt. We're in the middle of nowhere. What are we going to do? And Aaron has this moment. The people come to him, and they say, Aaron... You show us who God is. They say, you make a God for us. And Aaron's got a choice. He can say, no, I'm not stepping out into and becoming a leader. I'm just going to say, we're going to wait for Moses because Moses made him the leader. And I don't know why he's been gone a month. He's kind of dropping the ball here. But we're going to wait for him to come down. But he didn't. This is one of the most familiar stories in all the Bible. You can read about it later in, in chapter 32 of Exodus as well. But... Aaron doesn't even appear to take a second to think over it. He tells the people, when they come and say, you show us who God is. The next verse says, Aaron says, all right, bring all your gold and I'll make a God for you. This was his chance when Moses was gone and he becomes the leader. And he asserts himself into that role. You know that we all have triggers that may cause us to become disloyal to other influencers around us. When you're at work, consider this. If your department makes a decision that you don't agree with, a bunch of other colleagues, they go, this is the way we're going to go. Maybe your boss has said, this is the way we're going to do it. And you don't fully agree with it. And then you all leave the meeting, and there's a little conversation going on in the hallway. You have a choice, don't you? You have a choice to participate in that conversation, say, or maybe even sometimes we initiate that conversation, saying, I don't really agree with what's going on here. I don't think Mr. Know-it-all knows it all. <laughs> Why don't we try going it this way? Even though we decided this, why don't we try? We have a moment to push ourselves into the limelight, push ourselves out of that shadow, don't we? You know, every week I sit with a team of six people who create this message. This isn't, this isn't all just my coming. We, all the, all the, the speaking pastors get together and we create this message. And sometimes I don't fully agree with the way that we're going to shape and conform the message. So I have a choice because I know that the big guys, they don't listen to this uh, podcast every week. I'm literally living in their shadow. They're like six and a half feet tall. But if you know Pastor Doug and Jeff, like I'm, I'm in their shadow. And together we've created the message. 
And I have a choice. I can say, hmm, yeah, those are good ideas, but I think I have a better idea, so I'm going to go my way. And I like to throw things like that in there just to see if they actually do listen to the message. So we'll, we'll see. I'll have, a, I'll have a nice early morning Tuesday meeting if, if, if they do listen to this one this week. <laughs> but I have a choice to go, am I going to do it my way, or am I going to do it the way that the team decided to do it? Parents sometimes... One parent, we always know there's one parent that's more strict, right? Don't look at each other right now. <laughs> you know, there's one parent that's more strict. And sometimes the strict parent will say, here's what we're doing. You're grounded for 76 weeks and there's no food and no air and no light. Go to your room for the next year and a half. And, and there'll, be this, there'll be this large consequence that's given out. And the other parent will come alongside and go that sounds a little harsh, no food, light, or air for 76 weeks. I'm not sure that I'm going to enforce that consequence. And all of a sudden, we start to have this tension in our homes. We have it in our work, where we go, am I going to be loyal to the decision that was made and support this other influencer around me, or am I going to do it my way and exert my leadership because I think it's better? And we have Aaron making this golden calf, and he led the people into making this statue. And I want to see what his moment of leadership did. Think about it. He led them into a time where God had to interrupt his meeting with Moses, send him down the mountain so Moses could destroy the calf, melt it down, put the gold in the water. He made the people of Israel drink the water. And then anyone who wouldn't choose to align themselves with Moses from that day forward, the rest of the people ran through the camp and killed off people that were going to go against what the Lord had called them to do. That's what Aaron's moment of leadership did. When he stepped out beyond the support role, that's how he led the people. He took this opportunistic moment. And opportunism is not in line with the way God does leadership. He calls certain people for certain times to do specific things. And Aaron's best judgment was no alternative for God's calling on Moses' life. David faced the same thing before he came the king. Again, this is going to be part of our CLG study. But the people loved David, and he was going to be their leader eventually. And he had multiple opportunities to kill off Saul, who was the reigning king. But listen to David's words when he had the chance to be this opportunistic leader. David said to Abishai, one of his associates, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Even Jesus dealt with loyalty issues. He called 12 people to be disciples, right? And we know that Judas started, started to look around and say, I don't like what Jesus is doing. I don't like the way he's leading. I think he's taking us off on the wrong path. And in John 12, 4 and 5, here's what it says. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He questions Jesus. And he says, you're doing the wrong thing. The, you can't let this lady who came who smashed a bottle of perfume and put it all on Jesus' feet. And Jesus said, it's okay. This is, this is all part of what's happening on my journey to the cross. And Ju Judas, right then and there, in his heart, started to look for ways that he could betray Jesus. He became an opportunistic leader. God's call on Aaron's life was to be the spokesperson, not the decision maker. And for those of us who are living in the shadow right now of somebody else, whether it be at home or work, when you live in that shadow, are you okay living in the role God has called you to live in? 
Remember I said this, the greatest contribution we may be able to make right now is ensure the success of that other leader. Even if we don't agree with what they're doing, if God's placed them in our life to lead, if God's placed them in a role, it's not on us to lay a hand and step up in front of them. It has nothing to do with talent. We may have the ability. It has everything to do with timing, the person that God has called to lead. And as we get to our third point, we can have faith that God honors that kind of faithful leadership because God sees us serving in the shadows. He needs us to know this, that we're not forgotten. There are some of us in our 30s and 40s, we've been working a job never knowing if we're ever going to get to that title or that position that we dreamed we would get to when we first entered the work world. We thought, you know what, I'll be a boss someday, I'll be the president someday, I'll be at the top. And we may never get there. And are we okay with just continuing to serve and knowing that God hasn't forgotten us and God has a calling on our lives to influence where we are? Some of us have left the workforce and we said, I'm going to stay at home and I'm going I'm to parent, I'm going to raise this, I'm going to be in charge of this household. And you're unsure if sacrificing your career for your family was the right choice. And you live with the shadow knowing there's all these other people that seem to have this professional going on and I'm just at home. Are you okay knowing that God has called you to influence where you are? Because all of us experience times when there's the shadow that makes our life feel less than what we imagine it would be. You know what? It's not about what we accomplish. It's about who we become as Christ followers. It's not about what we can line up and say, I did this, 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 and this. It's about who we become and who we influence to the kingdom. That's what God's asking us to do. Our, our eyes are so fixed on, 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 on worldly check marks <laughs> and on things we can say, I did this. You know, the fifth book, of, um, the, the fourth book of the Bible, I got that one wrong, is Leviticus. We've heard of this book, right? Do we know what the book of Leviticus is? Anybody know what the book of Leviticus is? It's the law. Yeah, it, we've got, we've, we've got um, the writings down of, of, uh, of the law. And Aaron was from the tribe of Levi. And he became the priest. Levi, the Levites, became the priests for the entire nation of Israel. And Aaron was anointed the high priest. His calling was to be the ultimate servant of everybody. That's what a priest is. That's what the, to minister means. It means to serve. It means to become the lowest so that we could raise, we could serve the church. We could serve God's people. Aaron's calling, even though it started out maybe as the older brother, was to be the servant for the entire nation of Israel. He found fulfillment and true identity not when he embraced being number one. He found identity when he embraced the gifts and the calling that God set out before him. He had to be able to break out of the mold of blending biblical principles and the ideas that he wanted to because he did slip up. I mean, we, we just looked at story, and there's other stories along the way where Moses and Aaron have these conflicts because Aaron isn't quite sure, can I just be supportive? But his greatest moment, his, his long-lasting, the thing that he leaves behind is serving, the greatest servant of all being the priest. The world says, do everything you can until you get to be number one. God says, 
Serve where you are as I've gifted you and be satisfied. Look what it says in 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And we started out this morning looking at the fights we have with our siblings and joking about that and how we struggle to define ourselves by our titles and roles. And the joke about the secret of happiness is this. The secret to happiness, just be happy. <laughs> we look, we think, I'll be happy when I get this, when I become this job, when I have this much influence, that's when I'll be happy. And the secret of happiness is no. Know who you are and just be happy. Influencing who you are. There is no culture in the world that, that happiness is tied to earthly gain. In fact, we see the exact opposite. The cultures that are more happy often have less because they're just happy. They're satisfied with becoming the people that God has called them to be. I love when modern discoveries are actually rooted in ancient scripture. <laughs> A life that's lived in the shadows can be fulfilling and can be satisfying if we learn to love to be the person God created us to be because we still have influence and we're not forgotten. I want to read this verse over you as a close. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord, your God, is God. And he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Lord, I thank you for your church, this church that's gathered here this morning. And God, I thank you that none of us is forgotten. And this morning, the encouragement is not to strive to be number one, not to be faithful until you make us number one. Lord, the encouragement this morning is just to serve regardless of what happens in our life. And God, if you make us like Aaron, the ultimate servant of all, so be it. If we live our whole lives feeling redundant in the workplace or in our homes, but knowing that you have called us to that ministry of supporting, that gifting, that role of just allowing others to have greater influence, then, Lord, we're going to be satisfied with that. We're not going to look for all the reward that the earth would give. We're going to look for the reward that you give this morning. And, Lord, I pray that that word speak to our hearts this morning and we can walk out of this place knowing that we've been gifted to lead and gifted to serve and gifted to influence regardless of what area we're in and what whatever course our life takes this morning. Father, we pray that as we study this in our COGs this week, we would really get to, we'd really start to have it, the word become life in our hearts. Because we can know truth, Lord, but we ask that your truth get so ingrained in our hearts and in our minds that we start to live it out in brand new ways. Father, we thank you for your presence that's been in our lives and evident in our worship and in our time together. And we ask that it be an ongoing thing, no matter what we do, where we go, when we speak before, that your presence fills us. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.